Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Ashley Lockin. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero, which also includes an interview with Marshall Hook of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Then, we have an interview with Beth Swick of the Nancy Laurie Marks Family Foundation. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom talks about Labor Day. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, it's Labor Day weekend in Boston, and that can only mean one thing. At least a few poor college-bound kids and or their friends and family will get their moving truck stuck under an overpass on Storo Drive. It's annoying, it's disruptive, it's inevitable. And we'll talk to Marshall Hook of 98.5 The Sports Hub and Channel 7 about some of the drama around certain NFL superstars as the football season is about to begin. Finally, are smartphones wrecking the lives of an entire generation? And do you really need everyone who knows you to also know where you are during every moment of the day? We'll discuss. Joining me here on 3 to one go is Shakir Gregory and Ashley Lawkin. Hey. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Pretty well. How are you? Very well. That's our top-notch digital social media team in this week's Substitute Voices of OA On Air. All right, let's get to it. All right, Shakira and Ashley, first off, if if you've been in Boston during this time of year, you've seen it over and over again, inevitably a U-Haul or a rider truck or someone's moving truck, Mm -hmm. ostensibly bringing... Uh, a, a, a an excited young college student into one of the many schools here in, in, the, in the Boston area and they get stuck on store drive because they don't recognize the relatively obvious signage that says you've got a height limit and you can't go under an underpass because you're going to get stuck or even worse you're going to rip the top off that vehicle mm. and cause a whole kinds of, uh, a, a whole series of problems um, the city of Boston tweeted out, repeat after us, you cannot drive a moving truck on Storo Drive. Yep. And they did it three times. Kind of funny. So it's a it's a perennial phenomenon. Um, but I got a question for you, and that is, how come in the age of Waze and other map apps uh, on our smartphones and devices, we can't el- eliminate this problem? I, I, I completely agree. I think that there should be a role for Google Maps and Waze, and if I'm not mistaken, Google Maps owns Waze, so really it's on Google, um, to make it more obvious that you have to select a vehicle type when you're doing your driving instructions to a place. A lot of folks have never been to Boston um, before. Well, maybe they visited, but they're not really Boston um, natives or from the area a lot of the times. So they're driving in, and they may miss some of the signage. And you know, to the credit um, of Massachusetts, there's signage everywhere. But even if they still miss it, but on like crazy college moving in days, you're not really paying attention. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Well, wait, wait. You went, Ashley, you went to Emerson College. I did, Where yes. Where did you go to college? Northeastern. Northeastern. And okay. we're both sort of recent grads, too, yeah. so Perfect. we're very familiar with this. So, exactly. so old school, 
in your, I don't know, welcome packet, outreach packet, did, they, did the university say, hey? Actually, yeah. Oh, okay, they did. They said, yeah. hey, be, be, beware, mm -hmm. you know, don't drive your moving truck on Sorrow. Maybe? I, went, I don't remember. I went yeah, to Welcome Day, and I know that I got an email that was like, if you're mm -hmm. traveling into Boston, here are some things, and it was more about directions, but they definitely included something about routes not to take. Mm, so yeah. I remember mm -hmm. a little bit of that, but I also regret to inform you that I almost got Starroad myself, also oh, helping a friend move. Go. And more embarrassing, it was actually about three or four years after living here. So, And you're wow. from Southern Connecticut. You're from the greatest state in America, Florida. Florida. <laughs> and, Your favorite state. Yeah, and... and, and, and uh, and that's really the audience. It's yeah. not this. It's not really people who live around here. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's exactly. All these students and you so know, the occasional eighteen wheeler yeah. from uh, you know uh, from way out of state. Michigan. And so putting my my digital marketer hat on for a little bit, I think that what if I was Boston, um, you have to recognize that most of the folks following uh, Boston-based accounts are from Boston. So those aren't really the people that need reminders about mm -hmm. you know getting surrowed. I would probably you know look into advertising or working with some of these universities and advertising to folks that are not from here and are from way out of state and just really reminding them because those are the people that need to see it um, the people who are coming down the pike and you know may make a wrong turn or something like that and end up in a really bad situation so uh, that's that's my advice for the city of Boston I'd also say like we said before um, there is some blame to be uh, passed around to some of these map apps yeah. because they really should be, you know, notifying people of that, especially when, you know, you can cause major damage and major traffic disruptions. And it happens every year. Yeah. Oh, it does. It what? Does. I, I'm I, curious. I, what is the way around? Um, so actually there are. Uh, the way around is you go, you, you should take the turnpike. Yeah. Got it. Into downtown. Exactly. Not, not Storrow Drive. Mm -hmm. If you've got a moving truck. I got to tell you, over the years working in Boston uh, for over 20 years, in one way or the other. I must have seen dozens and dozens of, of mm -hmm. trucks I'm get sure. stored. I never actually stuck around or had the opportunity to stick around to watch the excruciating process of them backing up slowly down <laughs> Storrow Drive, yeah. getting the finger from 150 people going oh, yeah. by. Um, but that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Yep, and the worst too is like, it's a truck filled with your stuff. You have to get a new truck. Oh, You're not brutal. even from here. You know, like it's a, it's gonna be a whole process for you, so. It's what you call a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, don't get storrowed, and uh, let's try to let's try to do better with, with uh, you know, map applications and other ways to prevent people from getting storrowed. If you've heard me talk for five minutes, it's yeah, apps do better. So <laughs> this is just the latest iteration of that. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. All right, thanks. All right, up next on three, two, one, go. We're joined by Marshall Hook from Channel Seven and ninety-eight point five, the Sports Hub. Love to have Marshall in. When we can to talk sports and sports media related things, Marshall, thanks for being back with us. Always a pleasure. Excellent. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's all football right now, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the anticipation of not just the New England Patriots season, but the whole NFL season and all of the uh, uh, news around it, and and and, uh, and some stuff that's uh, pretty shocking. Let's start with Andrew Luck, um, just from the perspective of how big of a surprise that was, how big of an announcement. His retirement, um, which we all learned of over the past week, and, and, and what that could mean for the league, because one of the storylines that I'm picking up on is that this is the kind of thing that could indicate to parents and young players that, yeah, even the best of the best sort of elite type player um, might decide this is no longer for me at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a big surprise for everybody when there was plenty of talk about whether or not he'd be ready to start the season, continuing to deal with 
injuries, the fact that his response to that was, I quit, I don't think anyone anywhere was expecting. That said, once you kind of look at it and you, if you watched his press conference and you listened to what he talked about, just, you know, the way he described it, four years of this constant cycle of pain and injury and re-injury and rehab and more pain, you look at, you know, $100 million in the bank just from NFL salary alone and he just got married, his wife is pregnant, all of that kind of rolled in together and the fact that he's a Stanford guy and has interests well outside of football, it makes all the sense in the world. He's got other things to fall back on if he needed it. I mean, I think that he'll be, you know, stimulated by other things. But I also think it is at some level just a simple recognition by a football player that the toll that playing that game can have on you. And as long as those players are making a lot of money, it wouldn't surprise me if you started seeing some of these big money guys look at it and say, you know, I've made enough and I can still walk around on my own two feet and I want to keep it that way. And you might see more of this. Is is, is the the fact that he has a lot of other interests and sort of intellectual interests and, and, and talents beyond football uh, make it less likely that the bug might bite him again and he might say, yeah, i got to get back in this. I mean, he is young enough, and maybe once the pain is, is subsides, there may be that, that inclination to go back to it again. But if you listen to his interviews, even when he was at Stanford, he wouldn't talk about football as much as he'd talk about like architectural engineering which is what he majored in at Stanford and you know you hear these stories about how there was one where he was you know somebody spotted him sitting waiting for an airplane or whatever or at his locker reading a book about concrete I I frankly didn't even know there someone had written a book about concrete (laughs) but you know clearly he's got interests and it may very well be that football was getting in the way of the things that he really wants to do and so it would not surprise me at all if we never saw him you know line up behind center again yeah and and if indeed that's the case then football has done its job for him in terms of enabling whatever he wants to do yeah i mean he clearly uh, with again a hundred million dollars from nfl salary alone that doesn't count what other you know other things he may have going on uh, that's more than enough it, to then pursue your career as an architectural engineer or whatever it or may con- be. Or concrete. Uh, it sure is. Let me shift gears a little bit uh, because I, I I think there's a little a little bit of relation between the two to, to Rob Gronkowski. Uh, quote, unquote, air quotes, big announcement this week. Not really. Actually, not, not at all. A lot of anticipation that I think was tongue-in-cheek, but the media still showed up for his big press conference, his big announcement. Is there anyone who actually thought it might be him announcing some kind of return to the to, to the field. I mean, I got to be honest, I don't think there was anyone out there who truly believed that that's what it would be. be at least I would like to think there was no one out there. Yeah. It was not going to be the XFL. It was not going to be the WWE because if I, it were either of those things, then those entities would have been holding the press conference. This was a Rob Gronkowski production all on his own, which means it was not likely going to be a return to football or any other big sort of thing. So going in, I mean, I even tweeted, I said, you know, when this thing is over, this was before it even began, I said, the general reaction is going to be, wait, that's it? Because it was going to be, my guess was Gronkowski spiked seltzer. Like it was going to be something like that. I feel like I wasn't really far off. He was basically 
promoting a product. He's the spokesman for a product. That's yeah. what I could have told you it's was a, going to be going into it. CBD health, CBD oil. CBD health so oil, you know, oil product. maybe a little more serious because he did. You know, there was some kind of nuggets of substance later in the end when he started talking about his own pain yeah. and injuries after the Super Bowl. Frankly, I don't think most people were listening to the press conference by that point because he got out there and, you know, read a couple canned lines about CBD oil and then turned it over to some, I put in air quotes, doctor. He may be a real doctor. I have no idea. But it was an infomercial. That's yeah. what it was. And anyone who got suckered into playing that live on TV, I, I wish you hadn't. Yeah, and, and he spoke to his injuries and the toll it's taken on him. And I think in, in, in a pretty emotional way, which, number one, may put to rest the will Gronk come back uh, uh, speculation because he seemed pretty serious that football was keeping me down, I think he said. And then I thought, hey, this kind of comes at a time where it gives a little cover if, if it's necessary to Andrew Luck, who I think was ta- took a little bit of a beating by some people saying, wow, he's, weak, he's, he's wimping out, he's not as tough as we thought, or he's not tough at all. Because here's here's Gronk saying, roughly the same age, saying, yeah, you know, the game takes a toll, and I was done. I have no idea who that radio person would be, and it certainly wouldn't be a, a, a well-liked guy who I sat across the table for <laughs> from for four hours, basically – they were calling him soft, and I was saying, how can you possibly say that? This guy took a beating, and he opted not to do that anymore. It is not for us to judge. And honestly, with Gronkowski, he's been talking about retirement for two years before he got to this point. And if you look at him, even aside from the, the kind of phoniness that was that press conference, did he look unhappy? Did he look like he was in football shape? I would say no, he did not look unhappy, and no, he does no. not look like he's in football shape. Yeah, he lost shape. weight quickly. Yeah, he's not coming back. Yeah. All right, we've been talking to Marshall Hook, 98.5, the Sports Hub and Channel 7. One last thing real quick, the the, uh, the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I'm one of those people that always watches Hard Knocks on HBO, and I've been fascinated by this year. I think pretty good season. Um, and... and, and I think I'm being deceived into thinking this might be a team. Oh, no. Am I being deceived? I think you're being deceived. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that they've won some games in the preseason, but that means less than nothing at this point. You know, Antonio Brown is is the, you know, clown show of the offseason. You know, his frozen feet, his landing in a balloon, his fighting with the NFL over a helmet – I, I have a hard time. I know that he did well in the past, but John Gruden is an NFL head coach. I feel like his time has passed him by. Derek Carr had his moment in the sun. I just don't see how this team puts it together, particularly in the division that they are with Kansas City. You know, I don't see it realistically as there being anything I mean, close my, to a, even a, a GM, playoff contender. Mike Mayock is like one of those, you know, NFL Network draft nerds. Yeah, and yeah. Now he's and, the, <laughs> None. All of this is, you know, they were perfect for Hard Knocks because they're like a reality show of a football team. They've got big personalities, but that doesn't translate into, you know, a big team for playoff contention. So, yeah, I think you're being snookered a little bit by that team. All right. Marshall Hook, thanks so much for joining us in OA on Air. Always awesome to have you. Anytime. Thank you. All right, Shakir and Ashley, uh, let's talk about smartphones. Um, pervasive, uh, an understatement, throughout American and really global culture. Uh, important, uh, pivotal uh, milestone. 2012 was the year in which 
the proportion of Americans who owned a smartphone surpassed 50%. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that number is now. It's probably very, very high. It cuts across really all generations. Oh, yeah. um, but let's specifically zero in, I think, on what is called Generation Z, and mm-hmm. that is those who have grown up. Um, the digital natives. The digital natives. They yep. did not experience life before the digital age. The iPads and iPhones at age four. Abs- crazy. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and, and I'm one of those parents of an adolescent and a teenager right. mm-hmm. uh, who, who experiences this every day. And, and, and some of these behaviors that, uh, you know, of, of kids literally being glued, people, you know, glued to their smartphones. And, and you know what? So am I. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna like all oh, these these kids today. So am I. So am I. Yeah, so it's 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 cross generational. Yep. But uh, the, the 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 crisis point is is this generation where kids are, are not experiencing so many things that mm-hmm. the average American youngster has experienced, yourselves included, mm-hmm. th- uh, at that point in their lives. What do you think? And are we at a crisis point that needs some kind of you know uh, cultural uh, correction? So I have an interesting perspective, uh, I'd say, on this because, you know, working in um, digital PR um, and digital marketing in particular, a lot of my peers are like screen glued throughout the day. And you start to notice that, you know, people, uh, if if you've seen that trend of kind of an an unplugged vacation or Mm -hmm. I left my phone at home home, or I turned my phone off and I was completely unreachable for a few days. And it's this huge, mysterious concept with a lot of people. But I mean, there's been study after study that says prolonged phone use can have adverse mental health effects. So it is really important to make sure that, you know, you're taking some time away from your phone, that, you know, you're getting some face-to-face interaction. I know I play Dungeons and Dragons weekly, and that's my little slice of face-to-face interaction. I hang out with my friends on weekends, but it's good to do that and not just exist online. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how about I mean, yourself, the, the article says that, you know, smartphones have, I think it says, destroyed that generation. I'm not going to say destroyed. I think that's sort of a stretch. I think the jury is out on that still, I, right? Yeah, Ooh, a, I think a I generation needs to mature. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I don't think there's completely fail before they've been destroyed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Proof for that either, but mm-hmm. I do think that smartphones have changed that generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, suicide rates have risen mm-hmm. um, in teenagers, and is that tied into smartphone use? I don't know. I don't think there's enough proof on that yet. Mm-hmm. But I was I, I used to think and sometimes say that uh, all of the digital connectivity we have and, and and things like Facebook as one particular platform yep. was kind of like a cure for loneliness. Yeah. But it it actually and in some ways it can be if mm-hmm. used correctly, yeah. I guess. But it also can be very isolating because yeah. ultimately even though you're you're experiencing some level of connection with others you're, you're isolated to just you and this device, yeah. and the device I, becomes your life. And that's that's what I was saying, you know. It's it's good to have that so that, you know, the physical distance, you know, friends that you've had since high school or something like that who have moved away, you can still stay in contact, but that is never a replacement for the real deal, which yeah. is seeing them, visiting them, talking to them face-to-face. And a lot of times I feel like people may substitute keeping up with someone on Facebook or Instagram with, yeah. you know, actually catching up with someone over lunch. Yeah. And it seems a little extreme, but, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of studies talking about how, how bad that is for people. Many years ago when I was a kid and my, you know, and, and if I was watching too much television, my dad would say, get away from that, st- that stupid idiot box. Get yeah. away from that idiot box. My mom too. Yeah. And, and, and it makes me think, you know, all of this content and all these experiences are at the fingertips and in, in, in your pocket wherever you go. I, I wanted mm-hmm. – 
as a lesson to my kids, I wonder if I could if, if I could figure out a way to say, hey, here's this 28 inch flat screen. Mm-hmm. Knock yourself out. Carry that around all day, right. and if you want to watch your phone, watch that thing and see how how, how fun that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, long story short, it yeah, actually I think you're absolutely right. It has changed this generation and and, and probably the course of, of of American and global culture because it isn't just in in fact it's a lot worse in certain in certain uh, uh, overseas cultures. Uh, not, you know. Um, but it definitely has changed the way we experience life mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe not for the better. So, mm-hmm. all right. Hey, great job. Great segment. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Paz. Thanks. Good work. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for 321GO. Up next, an interview with Beth Zwick of the Nancy Laurie Marks Family Foundation. I'm Ann Murphy, Senior Vice President with O'Neill and Associates, and today my guest is Beth Zwick. She's a program officer and director of community relations for the Nancy Laurie Marks Family Foundation. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Ann. It's great to be here. I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about the foundation. Can you give us an overview about what the foundation does? Oh, absolutely. The Nancy Lurie Marks Family Foundation uh, was one of the very first, established in 1977, one of the very first organizations in the country to look at the issue of autism and to invest in autism way back in the 70s. The mission of the foundation is to help people with autism leave lead fulfilling and rewarding lives. So we invest in science. Uh, One of the goals is to help people understand autism from a scientific perspective. We invest in increasing opportunities and services for people in the autism community. And we invest in educating the public about autism. I joined the foundation about three years ago and my work includes developing recreational opportunities for adults with autism and also looking at uh, the many unexplored issues around aging and autism. Well, that's interesting. I think that's what we're going to get into next. So can you explain why the foundation decided to partner with Northeast Arc on the Arc Tank competition? Yes, I I attended the first two Arc Tanks in 2017 and 2018, and I was very impressed with all the excitement in the room, the energy, and the idea of uh, putting so much focus on innovation in the disability community. That was very refreshing. We love the idea that the Northeast Arc is using this generous gift from Steve Rosenthal to challenge the status quo in the disability community, to think outside the box about creative ways to improve the quality of life uh, for people with developmental disabilities of all kinds, including autism. We also hope as a foundation to get some good concrete ideas from the Arc Tank about how to better support aging autistic adults. I think, I find this fascinating. While autism has really gained increased awareness over the years, particularly in children, uh, there are some issues facing people aging with autism that people aren't really talking about. So could you explain that a little bit more? Sure, if if you think about the issues that we're hearing more and more about that are facing the mainstream population as we all age, you can imagine uh, that those issues are present for people who are aging with autism, but magnified. 
So for instance, if you think about uh, the social isolation that many people face as they're aging for various reasons when they're out of the workforce, that is even more true for older people with autism. If you think about the difficulty that some older people have getting access to good nutrition or um, opportunities for staying active, that's even more true for older adults with autism. And particularly some of the big issues that we see emerging for older adults in the mainstream population, like uh, transportation and housing, all of those are magnified for people who are aging with autism and their families. Why do you think that there has not been more attention paid to the aging with autism population? Is it the fact that a lot of times focuses, uh, focus is on like children and how people uh, come to get these uh, issue, issues or orders or whatever? Why hasn't there been more attention paid? Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. Uh, we often do, even now, that there's greater awareness of autism, we, we still tend to think of it as a childhood disorder or condition. Um, the first autism diagnosis was given in 1943 by Dr. Lee O'Connor, and he called it early infantile autism. Also, many of the people at that time who probably had autism were misdiagnosed with something called childhood schizophrenia. So both of those terms left the impression that autism is a condition of childhood. But of course, children grow up to be adults. Children with autism grow up to be adults, and those adults grow old, as we all do. Well, I hope that this, uh, this project can shed some more light and some good ideas. And what kind of innovative ideas are you looking for coming out of Arc Tank? So this first year, the, the foundations partnered with the Arc Tank. So uh, can you shed some light on that? Well, sure. We're very open to innovative thinking outside the box. Uh, we're aware there's people all over the country. The Northeast Arc has done a great job of reaching out to innovators all over the country in all different fields. Uh, there are, for instance, issues around social isolation, as I mentioned, that there may be some innovative ways of addressing that we haven't thought about. We'd, we'd love to hear more about that. Increased access to healthy lifestyle. Um, we find that uh, among geriatricians and gerontologists, there isn't necessarily a lot of awareness of what it is to age with autism, and so those specialists could be educated in some ways. There's um, questions around personal safety, polypharmacy, adults who grow older and are given more and more medications over time without any of them being taken away. We understand from the physicians who specialize in this area that that's a big issue for aging with autism. Stronger approach to management of chronic diseases, expansion of opportunities to engage in future planning by uh, parents and siblings, that's very important, and strategies for making the mainstream aging and community movement more inclusive because there is so much activity now and really good and I think exciting work going on uh, around the mainstream aging community that we would love to see that shared with the DD community and the autism community in particular. Is there a lot of research going on right now about aging with autism? Is it still, are there things that are going to be coming out eventually? Are there studies going on? You really don't see that happening. You're right. We don't see enough of that. Um, we do hear about some gerontologists who are looking at autism uh, as people age. There's a guy named Scott Wright in Utah who's doing some wonderful work on that. Really, some of the most um, interesting work is going on in Europe at this point around aging with autism in the UK and in the Netherlands we're hearing about some interesting but certainly 
uh, in this country very, very limited attention. I think we're kind of focused, the autism community itself is kind of focused. We were first, first focused on childhood. Now we're really hyper-focused on the transition years into adulthood. And uh, the foundation believes, and I believe that we need to sort of move our focus up through the lifespan and think more about adults and particularly aging adults. We have no idea, we have very little research on what it is physiologically for someone with autism to age. We don't know, for instance, the Down syndrome community um, is very aware that people with Down syndrome as they age are much more likely to get Alzheimer's disease than someone without Down syndrome. We know nothing like that about about aging with autism. We have absolutely no idea because there's so little research. So little research. I am curious. I wonder if the autism does change in each person's, you know, makeup as they age, where some other orders or disorders change in your body. So I mean, there should be more research. There should be more attention paid. And this is a great first step to kind of come to that uh, awareness level and to get people with smart ideas, you know, thinking about it. So I really, I hope it, I hope we get some great ideas out of that arc tank coming up. But if people, uh, Beth, if people want to learn more about the Nancy Lurie Marks Family Foundation, how can they find out more? Sure, you can certainly look at our website, nlmfoundation.org. Uh, I'm told by our communications director that in a couple of months we'll have our brand new website up. She's been working on that for several months and that'll uh, have a lot of information on it. Even now it has a lot of information on it. It will have more videos. We also have a second uh, website that's very interesting. It's called Autism Around the Globe, autismaroundtheglobe.org, where we collect stories from all over the world, from countries all over the world, about uh, what it is like for people in those countries, individuals and families who are living with autism under all different kinds of social and political and cultural conditions. So that's a really interesting website as well. I definitely want to check that out. That sounds fascinating. Well, I thank you for coming on the show today. And we look forward to everybody out there who's listening. If you have an idea, a proposal on how you think that you could affect some positive change in, the pe in people who have autism, especially those who are aging, send in, send in your ideas, send in your proposal. You could be a winner on the Arc Tank, sponsored by Northeast Arc. And just to let people know that the finals are on November 19th at the JFK Presidential Library, which is open to the public, and they'll be putting out an invitation soon so people can uh, link in and, and RSVP. And as, uh, as Beth has said, you've been to the uh, Arc Tank before, and that kind of is what led you here today. Oh, it's quite wonderful. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much for coming in today, and good luck with the Arctic. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks to Beth Zwick for joining us. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hello, Tom. Hey, Cayenne. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Thank you. I had a lovely family vacation down the Cape. That's great. That's great. I feel like you're a million miles away well, when you're down you know, the sometimes. I love that. Yeah, it, it's a great feeling. But it's also a vacation at the end of the summer, and uh, a summer which was all too short. Yes. And um, But it's over, or just about over, and it's Labor Day. We have the unofficial ending of summer with school starting and Labor Day weekend. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about Labor Day. Labor, yeah. obviously something that we work a lot with here in our office you have throughout your career 
it's uh, it's important. You bet it's important. The labor movement in America has, in American modern times, proven to be just a, a very thorough and important instrument for the working men and women of this country. And you were talking earlier about some of the dates of, uh, of American labor and the movement when it started. And you, you want to talk about that a little bit because it's, it's very interesting. I looked up. I found some fun facts or interesting facts. The first Labor Day celebration was September 5th, 1882 in New York City. Uh, 10,000 citizens marched for rights down the streets of Manhattan. At that time, the average American worked 12 hours a day, six days a week, um, which total norm at the time obviously not the norm today uh, for some but and then it wasn't until September 3rd 1916 when the Adamson Act was passed the Adamson Act, yeah. that uh, our modern sort of eight, eight, eight hour, hour work day, day was established day. unbelievable when you think of it my grandfather my dad's father um, started one of the he's one of the original founders of the bricklayers union in America in 1900 really yeah and it's still in existence it's um the Bricklayers Local Number Three in Charlestown still very much in existence. That is very cool. Yeah, and um, you know when when my family moved to North Cambridge, it was because of the clay pit, clay pits, and the and the brickyards and the ability to work for the brickyard and lay brick up and down Mass Avenue and at Harvard and every place else. And people from that part of Ireland that they matriculated to North Cambridge for that particular reason. Because of that. Because of that, it's pretty remarkable. And so, yep, that's right. And so, my grandfather, in, in around 1900, uh, seeing that men and women working in the brickyards needed protections, um, helped start the American Bricklayers Union. Hmm. When we think of unions, I think most often people first think of blue-collar roles, right? Um, people that essentially helped build America, continue to you know work on some construction sites, work for the MBTA, public service, public workers. But we've also seen as there are conversations about sort of unions being under attack, right, in this administration in the last couple of years on the federal level. We had the Janus um, Supreme Court decision. But on a more local level i think we're seeing a lot at least in massachusetts which is obviously a blue state but we're seeing newspapers look to unionize radio state i mean a lot of these other groups that historically have not been union That's are right. now coming together That's right. and it's not only in higher education where we're seeing it we're also seeing it across health care mm-hmm. um, and the sciu the service employees international union is one of the largest organizers of healthcare workers in the country their growth here over the last five or six years, has grown by over 100,000 members. And it's, it's generally speaking, back of the house, uh, people who need representation because they might speak English as a, as a second language or they're, they're newly arrived or they're, you know, they weren't educated in a, formal, in, a, in a formal setting. And so what they, they need protection in the workplace. And unions go a long way to make that happen. The Trump administration over these last years and the U.S. Supreme Court have had filings um, to see if they couldn't break down some of the union movements in this country, and they've had a modicum of success. The Supreme Court has said that in, in, in public service employees' unions, if you don't want to belong, you don't have to belong as a member. Um, that's, not really, that's not really been felt here in Massachusetts, but it's been felt elsewhere around the country. 
So there's a real there's a real war going on, an attack going on in the American labor movement, both within the Trump administration and within the Supreme Court, as conservative as it is. And I think to that point, because we're again we're in Massachusetts, a very blue state, uh, we're insulated by some of this to a certain extent. Um, what I've seen with unions that we work with and talk to and have relationships with is that actually it has made unions that much stronger here, the Janus legislation. It has I think gone the right. opposite direction. I think that's right. And um, you know, we see it in the service in the service employment, we see it we see it um, in, in unions that are working in electrical contracting, we see it in all the construction going on in the greater Boston area. Unions are, are, are dutifully represented uh, with its membership, and, and I think in a very positive fashion. Yeah. So Labor Day coming up. So celebrate it. Yes. It's, it's an important celebration of people who, men and women, who have worked very hard all their lives and feel as though they're, they're, you know, they're represented by people, the good people of the trade union, trade union movement of America. Yeah. Happy Labor Day. Good for you. Happy Labor Day, Diane. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe. It can be Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check out OA on Air on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.